Thank you for visiting the website of the Laurel Heights Church of Christ. I'm Warren Berkeley, and these presentations in recorded format are coming to you for the purpose of opening the Word of God and sharing that with you for your response and your nourishment. Like you, I love the book of James for the simple, practical instruction God graciously gives to those who read this epistle. I think especially in times of difficulty, pressure from the world, and just some really strange events around us, the book of James serves us so well. The climate or moral atmosphere in which we live today is distressing. As I pointed out in another presentation, if we are not careful, disciplined, and developed, current conditions can dissipate our hope, corrupt our love, and erode our faith. We do not want that to happen to us. So we open up books in the Bible like James, and we concentrate on developing our faith and enriching our hope. It has occurred to me that Acts and Romans are good places to give our faith foundation, evidence, instruction, necessary initially as we first learn of the gospel and respond. James is a good place to develop our faith, to give depth and substance to the activity of our faith. And so in this sermon and another one to follow, I want us to consider how James leads us well in the development of our faith, faith we already have, but that requires daily discipline and development. So here are some highlights from the book of James. In chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, I'm going to word the point in this way. Let your faith be tested. Let that happen. Let your faith be tested. Here's what it says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James shows us in this epistle how to thrive and be productive and grow spiritually, even in times when we are being tested and tried and under immense pressure. You know, this earth is not a place where a constant, pleasant, and serene existence can be expected. If it isn't violent persecution, there is a noticeable, unfavorable attitude toward our faith. These people James wrote to had already been scattered, and there is evidence they were being opposed and exploited by unbelieving Gentiles. But notice James said, trials of various kinds. Our present circumstance may not be the same as the original readers James was addressing, but here on earth there are trials of various kinds. Illness and financial distress and conflict that we cannot resolve, sudden disaster. I know Christians, perhaps some of you who are tested and tried by concern over some lost soul. 
This is the earth. There are always trials of various kinds. James is telling his readers, and he is telling us, let that testing produce steadfastness, not bitterness, resentment, and anger. Let that testing of your faith produce steadfastness. Listen again to what he says. See if I'm right. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I was teaching this passage one time, and someone said, How do I know that what I'm going through is a test of my faith? And I responded, don't try to classify your trials. Don't wear yourself out trying to predict or read the details of providence. No, consider various kinds of trials as a test of your faith. And the application here is let that test not produce bitterness or doubt. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials or meet trials of various kinds. Whatever you don't know, you know this. The testing of your faith produces patience or steadfastness if you'll let that happen. Our faith develops as we allow these tests to occur without being weakened, assaulted by the devil, or driven to bitterness. Our responsibility is not to open up hidden mysteries and strain to see behind the scenes of providence or identify the cause of everything. Our responsibility, what is best for us, is to rest safely in the hands of the Lord and let every hardship develop us more into steadfast keepers of faith and hope. Number two, let the mirror speak. Let the mirror speak. In order for my faith to develop, I need to be introspective as it pertains to my relationship with God and his word. I want you to listen to this in James 1, 21 through 25. James 1, 21 through 25. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Folks, one of the challenges Christians face is to be rigidly truthful about what God is saying to us personally in his word. 
Most of us are rigidly truthful about the physical mirror, maybe more than we should be. Mirrors are sometimes called vanity mirrors. Could be we spend too much time looking at ourselves and attempting to meet some comparative standard of physical appearance or glamour or worldly appearance. Well, here James is saying, in order to be mature and develop our faith, we have to look into God's mirror, his perfect law, to see what we look like spiritually. We may be very skilled at determining when others are not in compliance with God's perfect law, but first we need to engage in self-evaluation. The question is, when I open the Bible, what is the message and application for me? Faith cannot be developed without this honest introspection. And I'll tell us the mirror of God's word always tells us the truth about ourselves. People may not be frank with us. Family and friends may not really tell us what we need to know, where work is needed in our lives. God's mirror will be straight with you. And as you respond with corrective action, your faith is developed. This can be very hard, demanding mature humility to let God's word speak to us about our weaknesses, our sins, our neglect, where work is needed. But when it comes right down to it, we cannot be faithful to God without this kind of self-examination. Number three, I'm going to take us to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James wrote about the sin of partiality or favoritism. The old Bible phrase, respect of persons. I want you to listen to this in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. But he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. 
If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James wrote about the sin of partiality or favoritism. The old Bible phrase, respect of persons. One modern term is prejudice. Favoring someone or disfavoring others on subjective grounds relative to morally neutral traits. Favoring people of a certain race while disrespecting others merely because of their race. Favoring people of a certain economic status while disrespecting others simply based on perceived economic status. Favoring people of a certain educational level while disrespecting others based on academic attainment. You see what this is all about. James is very plain about prejudice. He gives his example. Then he says, you are committing sin in verse 9. So to develop my faith, I need to recognize this sin, avoid it. And on the positive side, verse 13 says, let mercy triumph over judgment. The merciful do not ignore the poor in favor of the rich. The merciful do not discount people because of the color of their skin. The merciful do not disrespect people made in the image of God because they live in a poor neighborhood. Mercy defeats prejudice and favoritism, and this is essential in order for our faith in Christ to develop. Faith cannot be developed Discipleship cannot be in full pursuit mode without mercy. Luke 6.36, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. This has packed into it love and patience and discipline as exhibited by the Father and the Son and as written by the Holy Spirit. Faith cannot be developed without mercy. Number four about developing our faith, let your tongue be tamed. Let your tongue be tamed. Now, I'm going to read this familiar passage, and I'm going to paraphrase or supplement just one part of it, and I believe you'll see the accuracy and relevance of my supplemental reading. Be listening for that. James chapter 3. 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. 
so also the tongue and the keyboard. The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue, or keyboard, is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue, or keyboard, is so set among our members, straining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of nature, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue or the keyboard. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. My faith, your faith, cannot be developed as long as we defy good discipline in what we say and type, and share, and post on social media. In the time of James, general communication involved speech or writing. There were certain various forms of gestures, images, and expressions that accompanied human relationships and communication, but primarily it was speech or writing. Today, it is speech writing, typing, email, social media, text, video, and audio podcast. So as I read the passage, I supplemented the word tongue with keyboard because of the vast array of communication tools we have today that ought to be subject to good discipline. The point of discipline remains. And without discipline in what we say or type or text or post, faith cannot mature. The human tongue is physically small but boasts tremendous influence. And today, through keyboards and internet connections, man's propensity of undisciplined speech is evident. You know that with YouTube and Facebook and various other digital platforms, You can see animals do amazing things when properly trained by their human masters. Or you can visit a place like SeaWorld or observe dolphins doing whatever their trainers signal them to do. Dogs have been effectively trained to assist in law enforcement and help people in a variety of ways. James says, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind. But then he says, then he says, nobody seems to be able to tame or train the human tongue or keyboard. What does that mean? It means this is a huge task, an enormous challenge. Someone said, 
Out of our mouths can flow verbal cyanide, keyboards too. Verbal cyanide, deadly poison. Isn't it clear? Faith cannot be developed. We cannot grow closer to the Lord without determined daily effort to control what we say and type and post. Footsteps, tongue, attitude, keyboard, developing our faith. Let's redevote ourselves to these things, knowing Christ died to keep us from the evil one. I've decided to come back and follow this theme again next week, developing our faith from this letter James wrote. People of faith need to be people who continually develop our faith, zealously keeping our hearts filled with the word and our lives lived out to God's glory. Thank you for listening to this recording.